man. There's a beverage here, huh? Does anybody here know how many times I've had to watch Funny Lady? I'm gonna get that gun of mine, and I'm gonna change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Hey, how's it going? How's everybody feeling? It's another episode of Who Shot Ya? And I'm Ify Waniway in the virtual booth with my friends. So why don't I introduce you to them? First up, we have Christmas Zaddy, Alonzo Duralde. Alonzo, what's good? Uh, well, funny that you mentioned Christmas because that kind of ties into it. I'm very excited about anything that provides a sense of normalcy without putting people in danger. Looking at you, Warner Brothers. Uh, so I was very happy to hear that, for example, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is going to happen this year, but it's going to happen virtually. They're going to do it basically for cameras and not in the traditional way is, is in, a, in the hopes of dissuading the crowds that usually line the streets of New York to see this thing. So, you know, that's awesome. I think for a lot of people, Thanksgiving just doesn't start until you see the parade, much less the Christmas season entirely. And uh, Netflix dropped their first teaser for The Christmas Chronicles 2, which is the uh, Kurt Russell as Santa Claus franchise. We're getting a lot more Goldie Hawn as Mrs. Claus this time, which I'm psyched about. So anyway, just like, you know, given that what a shit show we're living in and given that the holidays are really going to suck in terms of people not being able to spend it with their families, people not being able to have friends over or entertain or do the kind of things you usually do at the end of the year. Uh, anything that that gives us just a hint of holiday goodness, uh, I'm I'm very excited about. So those, those two things are good for me this week. Ooh, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear it. Oh, and next we have the queen of the Midwest who always does it best, Drea Clark. What's good? Uh, but first, you saw that I was trying really hard to not comment on yeah, Alonzo. It's hard for me not to comment. I was kind um, of shocked. I know, it gives I me a good say, segue, so like I, I like it. Okay, good. Then I will no longer ever <laughs> restrain myself. Um, I My comment would have been that I saw the poster for Christmas Chronicles 2. And for the people who are unable to see the beautiful Alonzo Duralde right now, Kurt Russell is fully grown what Alonzo has going for his hair and beard. Like just this flowing salt and pepper goodness. So yeah. Uh. Um, what's good with me is um, an item called Am I the Asshole on Reddit. <laughs> and I'm not on Reddit a whole lot, mostly because I'm an old and it confuses me and I don't know where to look. But when I'm pushed in the right direction, Ingu's actually led me to a skincare thread there. Am I the asshole is such a, it sounds terrible and it is, but it's people who are putting out like the general sort of queries for an advice column, but they're really specific and about a very specific like moment or relationship issue. And then hundreds or thousands of people comment on it and one of the reasons I like it is I'm always I read them and I'm like, oh, I have it good because these people have terrible things going on in their lives. And the other is it's kind of nice because I almost always agree with the crowd reading of, yes, you're the asshole or they're the asshole. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's where I am. That's Maury Povich should come out and say, you are the asshole. <laughs> <laughs> some of them truly need it the one i oh, yeah. read today was about some dude who was mad because 
he has a full-time job and his wife works part-time and her rest of her job is taking care of their four children and doing all of her chores, which are all of the chores. <laughs> and he's mad because he's currently not working and she wants him to do chores. It was very nice watching a lot of people tell that guy he was an asshole. It's also like the rare positive, like use for the internet mob. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. Oh. Yeah, love it. I love it all. All right. Well, that other voice you heard is TV critic at The Hollywood Reporter, Ingu Kang, friend of the show, always great, never late. What's good? Um, Overalls, non-denim overalls, because I will never bother with a waistband ever again. <laughs> but I do have to leave the house sometimes. Uh, when, you know, the sky is into orange. And so it's been really great being able to be decent, but also never bother with a waistband. And my previous uh, solution obviously was wearing dresses. And now I don't want to do that anymore because I'm old. <laughs> Overalls, a perfect solution. So are we talking a twill or a corduroy or a seersucker? Ooh. She's currently wearing a pair. I am talking twill. Yes, yeah. I bought two of these. I might buy five more. Uh, after how, how, if you buy 10, do they give you the pitchfork? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. That's me, American Gothic. <laughs> yes. I'll inform my husband. What's good, Ify? Oh! <laughs> the steel from us. You can't well, I'll show you what's good. What's, what's good with me is there, there's a couple of things. I'm, I'm going to try and burn through all of them. One, I took Nicole's advice. If you listen to the bonus episode, and I've been watching before the 90 days. And here's the thing. Whenever you're watching weirdos on reality TV, you can usually, you, sometimes you might start to pity them and feel bad. Not on this show, because <laughs> this show is the premise of people who look down on, it's, it's usually white people who want to go to these like, uh, you know, worse off countries. And they come with this like superiority complex. You can get to see them just fail over and over. There's only one good person, and it's been Larry. Uh, Larry, when he went to the Philippines, even though he didn't eat that no. lechon. He, yes, because he... He wouldn't eat the pig that they specifically roasted for him. That Are was you his serious? one flaw was being too white. He thought it might be too spicy. But everything... But he's the only one who I feel looked at his partner as an equal and wasn't like... Like, even though he used this service that obviously his cousin, like, kind of pitched him on. Yeah, he definitely yeah, isn't yeah, a yeah, sex tourist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, but like he was like this dude felt so lucky where everyone else is just like oh my god it's am i the asshole the series then yeah oh yeah it it's, is it's, oh my god yeah. <laughs> but now i'm in nigeria with this trump supporter and i i need her to experience pain uh yeah that was it was it was one of the things too where i was like i shouldn't have been surprised but i was because she brought him like gifts to nigeria and it was all trump memorabilia and i was like trump underwear yeah Ooh. i was like what a what? <laughs> and then she made him model it, and it was so tight. By the way, Ify, I have watched approximately 70 seasons oh. of 90 Day Fiancés in the past year. Yes. There are actually two different 50-something white women who go after 30-ish Nigerian <laughs> men. And I'm pretty sure that, like, both of them started out started out as like legit scams yeah. and then turned into a romance. These oh, are women so who, sure. who replied to the Nigerian princes that yes. emailed them. <laughs> well, yes, well, like and there's 
specifically like both like chain smoking white women from Georgia. Yeah. It's like a very specific demo. And and I believe it because uh, you know the white women. If you don't know, I'm on an all black uh, sketch comedy group called White Women, and we still get messages from men in Africa <laughs> who think that it's a service to help them find white women. Like they said, so like when he when he was, I was like, oh yeah, I could totally see the pivot when he was like, oh. This white woman is in love with me. Oh yeah, your boy's getting gifts and going to America. But yeah, that's what's been good with me. I could talk about it forever. Watch me and I could also talk about it forever. We're gonna have our own exactly. ninety days <laughs> cast. Just you wait. Well, uh, today we're gonna discuss. I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, and we're taking a question for the Who Shot line. And of course, we have our staff picks. But first, it's time for our news segment, Itadix, short for Is This Important? Do I Care? Each of us will read a news segment and answer the question, Is This Important? Do I Care? And first up, we're talking about our man, Jason Momoa, backing up Ray Fisher. Uh, for those who aren't aware, there's an ongoing feud between Warner Brothers and Ray Fisher, who portrayed Cyborg in the 2017 film Justice League. He claims that during reshoots for the film uh, director Joss Whedon's onset treatment of the cast and crew of Justice League was gross, abusive, unprofessional, and completely unacceptable. Fisher also says that producers Jeff Johns and John Berg enabled Whedon's behavior. Warner Brothers launched an investigation into the incident and claims Fisher refused to participate. Fisher denies those claims. And in this past week, Jason Momoa, aka Aquaman, has backed up Ray Fisher's claims. Uh, so uh, he said, this shit has to stop. And he needs to be looked at. Ray Fisher and everyone else who experienced what happened under the watch of Warner Bros. needs proper investigation. Serious stuff went down. It needs to be investigated and people need to be held accountable. Guys, that was iffy, not Jason Momoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was it. yeah. Uh, is this important? Do you care? I did that because I know Jason Momoa is a real life meathead. Uh, you know, I, I have friends who worked on Aquaman and said he had to, like, get his workout in, like, like God bless. Yeah. And I was hey, like, you I, can I make a movie need... in a bathing suit. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I was like, let me get on set with Jason because I want to get in that gym, baby. Let's go. You know, uh, this is important. I do care mainly because I think that, you know, so often in this era where people are trying to come forward to talk about stuff, uh, you know, you have to figure if this is how they're treating the marquee talent, like mm -hmm. the names above the title, the movie stars of this big superhero franchise, then yeah, when some rising actress comes and tells you horror stories about how how producers or directors or grips or whatever, like, you know, treat her yeah. on the set, I'm more inclined to believe them because, like, if if this is how the A-listers are, are, are getting handled, then yeah, it's open season out there. I've yeah. yet to, and this could just be because I'm not fully in the loop. I've yet to get a grasp of what the actual complaints were. I know that they're mostly measured at Joss Whedon, who directed the, mm -hmm. who took Reshoots. over directing. Yeah. Um, and, um, but I haven't gotten, and, and that's, I'm sure, part of their whole thing of, managing it of of what the complaints were and how they were treated and i know like on those films it is from the top down and so there's also just a constant um the the physical stress of what they're under and, and having someone who um i don't know if this is ray fisher's first movie but it was certainly this launch pad for him and the idea of all of the pressure that's put on actors anyway and then with the any kind of messaging of, well, you, you owe us is 
just yeah. it's just asking for it's a hot bed of a situation it's a hot mm-hmm. bed does that is a burning bed i, I don't know my <laughs> metaphors are a little off but you get what i'm saying i like yeah. it if you call the studio warner bros because i think that speaks <laughs> volumes in this case yeah yeah i know i think what what has been real hard about this is this kind of ray fisher's claims have kind of been lumped into the snyder cut kind of mm-hmm. discourse and so that's why it took me so hard to really realize that oh this there's this kind of like legitimate discussion going on because it was pushed into these weird whiny fanboys and as because you know it's one thing if Ray Fisher's coming out and be like, yo, I did went with all this. And it's another thing when, you know, Joker icon on Twitter is like, Joss Whedon ruined the movie. And this is one of the ways. It's also interesting to sort of look at this within like the larger pattern of the Joss Whedon downfall. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, because he really built his reputation in the 90s with Buffy as this like really like wokeness uh, of the time like, yeah he like literally called himself a woke bay at one point like in public and it Oof. wasn't just like a thing that he said to like get into bed with women while cheating on his wife which yeah. he also apparently did copiously i think it's frustrating right now because we don't have all the details i think the details like inevitably have to come out um i think studios can tamp stuff down only for so long and i yeah i think with all of the other stuff we know about whedon unfortunately it's probably not like the most surprising news to come out of that set you guys i do have another edict um and it's about an uh, the ongoing controversy over Netflix's release of the film Cuties, Oy. which some of you may be familiar with that film. It premiered at Sundance this year and in the World Dramatic Competition and actually won the directing award for Maimouna Ducore, who is a female Senegalese um, director. Uh, the film is about an 11-year-old Senegalese Muslim girl who befriends a group of dancers at her school, begins growing into her burgeoning femininity. The film first met controversy when Netflix released a hypersexualized poster for the film, which was terrible, the poster, which they later removed and apologized for. However, the damage was done. The film's existence on Netflix caused a huge backlash. The cancel Netflix hashtag began trending. Conservative politicians like Senator Noah Hawley and dumbass Ted Cruz both called out Netflix. That is his official title. Um, (laughs) The right wing conspiracy theory group QAnon, quote, Mm. a group that believes Hollywood is controlled by a cabal of pedophiles seized on the controversy immediately. However, it's not just conservative groups that are against the film. There are many people on the left who've spoken out, including actress Evan Rachel Wood. But this past week, the director of the film, Maimouna Ducore, finally addressed the controversy. In an interview with Zora, she said, quote, I realize the people who have started this controversy haven't yet seen the film. Netflix has apologized to the public and to myself. I'm hoping these people will watch the movie now that it's out. I'm eager to see their reaction when they realize we're both on the same side of this fight against young children's hypersexualization. Is this important, gang? Do you care? It's so depressing to see how earnest her response is because I, it definitely seems like the backlash against this film by like a bunch of like crazy conspiracy theorists is about like, normalizing pedophilia and this idea that like there's this like new satanic panic afoot right now Mm -hmm. right where basically uh all of these like nefarious forces of 
supposedly are like kidnapping children by the thousands and like sending them off to like be raped by like rapists in Wayfair crates right. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that like she's the fact that she has to like respond to this like in the first place is like sad. But also I really wish there was like a stronger grappling with like what the delusional aspect of this is as opposed to her putting out this like extremely polite statement that's like painfully earnest. Because well, yeah. part of it is like people outside of the US, it's probably difficult to understand. There is a very strange but pervasive obsession with the idea of pedophilia right now. Mm-hmm. I say that as someone who shouldn't need to explain, of course, pedophilia is terrible, should be rooted out and should be, you know, protected against. But the fact that so many evils are being connected to pedophilia on political levels and all these, it's yeah. so strange. So for her, a woman from a totally different country and culture to look at this and there's also, I've I've seen the movie and it is, there are parts of it that are uncomfortable to watch. These little girls in dance costumes and they're doing these moves that are like very much beyond their age and how they're seen. But it's also clear that you're supposed to be sympathetic for them and feeling disgusted that that this is part of the throes that they're in. Whereas we've we are a culture that has put like how long has toddlers and tiaras been on the air or dance moms or anything yeah. else like where. How? What? That's well, all it's, I got to say. It's, it's simple. It's just BS. And it, it, it helps prop up this weird piece of gate-esque idea of Hollywood pedophilia. But what what really annoys me is like, these, remember, these are the right wing guys. They, they want to save the children, right? But they don't care about the children in cages. They want to save the children. But when, uh, when Roy Moore was in office and he was a pedophile, they didn't say anything. They want to protect the children. But victims of Trump who were uh, in pageants have spoke out and they said anything. So to me, it's like, such bullshit it's like and it's so so transparent that anybody who falls for it i'm like at this point i'm like i can't help you bro is they're so bad at it that if you can't see it i i don't know what to tell you i'm just gonna stop talking to you because that's what i'm doing now i'm gonna just stop if you if you if you too dumb i'm just gonna stop talking you to you because never i can't stop uh, talking <laughs> in your life I, i'll never stop talking but i'll stop talking to them yeah the, the 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 conspiracy nuts have been rallying behind the whole save the children thing and there's an actual organization called save the children that does the real work and they're like do not drag us into this because we're actually doing something and we actually yeah. do give a shit about this stuff and we're not here to be your political your political prop so yeah uh, just starting with the, the the fact that people are losing their minds over a movie they haven't seen and are taking out of context and then going all the way deeper into everything that if you just said fuck it all it's wild it's all wild you know what else is wild? The movie I'm thinking of indie things. So we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we'll be talking about said movie just as soon as we hear from another one of the shows on Maximum Fun. Hi, my name is Graham Clark, and I'm one half of the podcast Stop Podcasting Yourself, a show that we've recorded for many, many years. And uh, at the moment, instead of being in person, we're recording remotely and uh, you wouldn't even notice. You don't even notice the lag. That's right, Graham. And uh, the great thing about uh, this. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. OK, and okay, go ahead. And you can listen to us uh, every week on Maximum Fun 
dot org or wherever you get your podcasts your podcasts welcome back to who shot you i'm your host ify wadiway and in the studio with me are drea clark and goo kang alonzo duraldi and today we're talking about i'm thinking of ending things alonzo would you mind providing us with a synopsis <laughs> <laughs> Have fun. Have fun. Okay. Let's see. I'll do my best. So, uh, Jesse Buckley plays a woman whose name changes multiple times over the course of the film. She's on a long road trip with uh, Jake, her boyfriend, played by Jesse Plemons. Yes, both those actors have the same first name. Is that intentional? Probably, but who knows? Um, they're driving through the snow to go visit his parents. Um, who are played by Tony Collette and David Thewlis. Over the course of the drive, we hear her thoughts that she is thinking of ending this relationship. But again, over the course of this same road trip, her name changes. She gets phone calls from herself. She gets phone calls from a strange voice asking strange questions. Um, they seem to constantly be shifting in terms of how they are to each other and who they are to each other. More shifting happens when they arrive at the house. Eventually, they wind up at a school where there's a janitor who we've been seeing all along. What's his deal? So many questions. So many questions. It's a film by Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> I, yeah, I would say that we, you know, we normally try and avoid spoilers. But honestly, yeah. I think I could describe scene by scene this oh, movie and you can't. still not be spoiling anything. No, this, yeah. is, this defies spoiling. Yeah, this movie is a real treat for anyone who's a real jerk like me and likes to spot continuity errors. Because <laughs> the second, like, her clothes change, his shirt changes, her hair, the wigs, all of us, you're like, oh. And then you realize, oh, these are intentional and I'm supposed to. But at first, I was having a real gleeful. It was like yeah. finding a typo in a menu kind of feeling. <laughs> uh, like, a whole ooh. other actress plays her for a hot second. For, yeah, yeah. I was like, ooh, I caught that. I'm like, oh, I'm, spo I'm supposed to be catching Old these eagle things. eye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that, this the this one was a, was a wild one. And I, you know, unfortunately, because like I once Tony Collette showed up, I was like, what, what's this movie trying to do real quick? And I searched and it was described as a horror. And that put me on edge the whole movie and nothing really horror-y happened. But like the, the, the moment I like looked and I saw t Tony Collette, I'm like, no, she's never in. Did, did you look anything. up Hereditary by mistake? <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, well, no, the movie is described as a horror on Google for some reason. What? It is a horror. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, but the fun thing about this movie was watching it and being like, okay, all right, all right. And then like looking up the book that it's based off of and then everything starts to make more sense. And I feel like if you read the book or know of the book, everything will kind of gel together. Knowing this film is an adaptation of a book makes a lot of sense. I've mm -hmm. not read it, but it is something that very much I felt like the entire film had that energy of a writing prompt answer. Yes. Of like, oh, I'm going to give like a conceptual framework that this has to work against and or within and and then all of the sort of thought provocations that can come from that so it's more of 
um, like a cerebral exercise than an enjoying like, oh, some time at the cinema, an escapist moment to get out of my troubles. No, this is this is a movie that you're supposed to watch and be constantly asking questions, both of the movie and of yourself and of how you see things. I'll say, though. I don't understand I, why you don't like movies about two white people who describe books that they've read to one another. <laughs> I was just going to say, Ingu, I, so if you want a funny visual, please know that as a senior in high school, I was in Sartre's No Exit with other high school students because I'm sure that is how Jean-Paul assumed it would someday be performed. And the whole thing of No Exit, right? Johnny Polly. Johnny Polly, yeah. The whole thing of No Exit is hell is other people. And to me, I was like, oh no, hell is a woman quoting Pauline Kael and a man quoting David Foster Wallace. Like, this is my hell. Stop Please get judging me out my of this life. Car. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I, I wrote down a statement because I wanted to get this really correct as like my overall view of this movie. So. My statement reads, if I were going to be mean, <laughs> it makes sense that Charlie Kaufman made a movie for a format in which people can take a dump while they watch because he has made a dump that he wants you to watch. If, if, you oh, were, if I were going to be you. mean. Oh my God. <laughs> if I were going to be less mean, I think it makes sense that he made a movie for a format in which people can like Google things while they watch. Because if you don't have Google like on your side, there is like no way to really get this movie because it's so full of references, but like really obscure references. And if you don't know what those references that are highly specific to Charlie Kaufman are, then you can't really like get the movie. I mean, like someone like Tarantino, for example, also has like a billion references, but you don't need to know like what they're specifically referencing but, uh, in order to get the Tarantino movie. Here's the thing, though. I think he's spelling that out for you. He shows you the Pauline Kael book. He shows you the fact that the paintings that are on her phone were by somebody else because there's a poster of that other painter. Uh, you know, the, but also the, you're the, a film the, critic, Alonzo. No, 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 no. But, like, but if besides, you're not a film critic, besides, like, are you supposed to get these references? Take the Pauline Kael out of it. I'm saying the movie explains them all within the framework of the movie. She she tells him a poem in the car that she allegedly wrote and then later reads it out of a book. She shows her paintings that she supposedly painted to her parents. And then the movie shows you the poster that the paintings are on. She, she, she talks about a movie and you've seen the Pauline Kael book. So it doesn't matter if you go in knowing that stuff. I didn't know the poet. I don't know the painter, but the movie is telling you, Hey, these are things that come from somewhere else. Yeah, but so many artists use a bunch of influences and reference points and you don't have to like spend at least like half the length of the movie Googling to figure out what the movie right, is. Right, but, 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 but I'm sorry, Kaufman isn't using those reference points in the way that somebody like Tarantino was, which is like, ooh, isn't this cool? Or I like this thing, or I'm visually referencing yeah, this thing. Agree. He's making a point about within the whole framework of this thing where things don't quite make literal narrative sense, where this stuff is coming from and why we're seeing it within the context of this story. My, so I don't yeah. think he's just doing it to show off. I think he's doing it to say something about these characters characters as such that he's created. My reading of it was the reason that we see uh, 
Jesse Plemons room, the guy's room with all of these references laid out in it or the majority of them. Mm-hmm. And the reason that the woman, her name changes all of these things. I assumed by the end, she was a figment of his imagination and was just, and was just an amalgam of all like women he Various had dated people, yeah. or like what he was projecting his stuff onto. <laughs> Sadly, Netflix already had a movie called to all the girls I've loved before. <laughs> Ooh. I feel like this movie is so much about sort of like alienation and like really wanting to like get lost in all of these like pop cultural references and not like really being able to do that or sorry or like being so enamored by different uh, aspects of pop culture that like you can't really uh, find a real human connection and I guess like that's a theme that's interesting maybe to like film critics and like screenwriters but also I just I don't care like do you have anything more to say about this like are you adding to this more than something like the purple rose of Cairo I felt like I was watching like a really pretentious version of like a Woody Allen movie complete with like all of these white people talking about the books they've read. And it just like didn't add anything to me like okay so like alienation is sad wow like revelatory like people who love pop culture can have trouble like connecting with other people like okay but like literally what else is there like do you have anything else that like i wouldn't have also like thought of myself like in 10 seconds speaking as the resident middle-aged white guy who has spent far too much of his life dedicated to you know the arts uh i kaufman's work speaks to me and I find it fascinating. And yes, I think here's the thing. I think he also knows that his own work is solipsistic. You know, I think he understands that he is, you know, he's, he is therapizing himself. You know, he is, he is, he is working out his own demons or obsessions or whatever. And you can choose or not choose to follow that along and you might find it indulgent or you might find it interesting and revelatory. Uh, I think that Synecdoche New York is a great film. I think it's one of the best films of, of the, the century so far. Uh, and it's a film that I relate to on a lot of levels, including as somebody who cares about the act of observing cinema and theater, which I think that movie addresses in really interesting ways. And I think here he's kind of trying to do the same for, like you said, people who can immerse themselves in art and literature and criticism and, and, and try to make that some sort of substitution for human interaction. That might not be news and that might not be particularly interesting to you, but I think that he has something to say about that. And I think that the way that it unfolds in this film, I think it is this sort of cautionary fable of like, look, you might, you can get pleasure out of this stuff and that's great and you should, but you also need to have human beings in your life. You need to have human interaction or you're going to wind up like, you know, the, this janitor who is like, completely alone and you know sort of uh, bereft by the end of the film whether or not he winds up killing himself so uh, you know yeah you know has has cinema been overwrought overrun over the years by white guys and their problems yes it has but that doesn't mean that Kaufman isn't doing this version of white guys and their problems well I mean as I already said, like the Purple Rose of Cairo, like also that this, that was about like a white woman. I'm not talking about like demographics here. I think I've also been sort of 
spoiled in like my viewing experience um, in like the past month or so because I've been rewatching a lot of Pedro Almodovar movies mm. for a reason Ooh. I will talk are about you, a little are bit later. Are you trying to win back a lot of good graces right now? <laughs> and there's like an author who is like also extremely obsessed with like the same images, like the same themes, the same like even like books that he talks about over and over. But like the overall effect of it is something that feels like, yes, melancholy and like sometimes depressed, but also something that feels really generous and like has something to say about like the world at large. And this one, you know, like I don't need like a journey into like Car- Charlie Coffin's snowy asshole. Like if that's something that like you're into, like that's fine. I just feel like I've been watching like artistic outputs by this s- same artist for what now, like 20 years. And I just want something more out of him. And unfortunately there's a sort of like monologue that I often fear in the movie that I often fear actually it might be the truth which is something along the lines of like you know most great artists create something like in their youth in their 20s and 30s and Charlie Kaufman is what like 60 now and I'm sort of like like maybe maybe your best work actually is like behind you this is this is one of those movies that I kind of chalk up to as like one of those experience movies uh, that I like to say that that'll be more fun to talk about than to try and like analyze as you walk, like say a mother exclamation point, uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, like, like I enjoy these because you can kind of live in them in the moment. But I think I just knew the, I knew I was, this was going to be a two watcher. The moment I didn't Demi's letterbox said that I think this movie uh, I'm too dumb for this movie. I was like, okay, this is a double, double watcher. Uh, Cause if it's too dumb for Demi, then it's definitely uh, too dumb for me. Smart. Uh, or, <laughs> too, or too smart, smart, you mean. Yeah, yeah, that too, that too. All right, well, let's give our final reviews of I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Would you screen it, stream it, or skip it? Ingu? I really wish I had skipped it. Oh, Ingu with the hot fire I was really like unsure about whether I wanted to watch it. And then Casey asked if I wanted to partake in the discussion. And I thought, okay, like, I guess I'll watch this. And now I am full of regret. Yeah. (laughs) my It's it's probably been um, pretty clear from my recent votes that I um, crave... uh, beauty or positivity or love and if i'm given a bit of it i'm just oh such a joyful vessel and i i don't think there's a movie i have checked the running time as much as i did since the irishman um until this film and so i know i alonzo just shot me daggers but (laughs) this one this one i enjoyed more than that um but it's I think it's a real specific thing. And I think you're going to know if you want to watch it. I would not watch it. <laughs> I would be a skippant. <laughs> but I do think there's people that really love these kinds of questions. And I'm glad for them. You know what's a good... I don't mean to interrupt, but like, I this is a good question for a hotline if anyone wants to call in with it. Like, is there a single like Netflix movie for whom that is the best work by a director? Ooh, good one. Oh, Okay. Good. Huh. Why don't you call in and leave it yeah, on the machine? Leave, okay. leave it on the machine. 
Uh, I say screen it. And mind you, there are places in this country where it is screening theatrically. And of course, I do not recommend that you do that. Uh, I agree with the epidemiologist that theaters are not places you should be going to right now. But uh, as far as our rating system goes, I say screen it. Um, Mm. I think that Kaufman is a a really fascinating filmmaker. I wish he got to direct more, um, mainly just because Inga would feel bad about it and that always makes my day. Uh, no, I, I, I think this is a really extraordinary film and I, again, I just, I liked the journey and I, I and, and, and I agree with Ify, it's going to require several more viewings before I really have a firmer grasp of what's even going on here. You guys can let me know if you do. I will. <laughs> I will oh, be yeah, happy no, I, to hear that. I, I will, uh, I will 100% uh do because I, I i like you know i was a big eternal sunshine guy that was that was the that was in film 101 they made us watch it and i was like oh yeah this this is this is cinema baby Ooh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i think i'm a i'm a rock with the screen it uh, uh as well it's you know it's a fun experience i think this is i think this is a dope screen it movie for the simple fact that like this seems like one of those movies that you go with friends, you watch it, you go out for drinks after, and then you're just talking about it and like saying, you know, how you feel about it while you're Ingen literally dunks describing on it the whole what time. we can't do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why I would say screen it if there ah, were okay. if there were theaters, because you know what's that, yeah. what's that line Bill Murray has in Tootsie? I want people to see my play and come to me a week later and say, I saw your play. What happened? <laughs> Exactly. You 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 will you will have questions like that. But we'll be right back after you hear from another show from this Maximum Fun Network. If you're looking for a new comedy podcast, why not try the Beef and Dairy Network? It won Best Comedy at the British Podcast Awards in 2017 and 2018. Also, I'm. There were no horses in this country until the, the mid to late 60s. Specialist bovine arse vet. Both of his eyes are squid's eyes. Yogurt buffet. She was married to a bacon farmer who saved her life. Farm-raised snow leopard. <laughs> Download it today. That's the Beef and Dairy Network podcast from MaximumFun.org. Also, maybe start at episode one or, weirdly, episode 36, which for some reason requires no knowledge of the rest of the show. Back to Who Shot Ya. I'm your host, if you wide away in the studio with me are Alonzo Duralde, Ingu Kang, Drea Clark. And this week we have an email question. It's from Jessica A. Aldrich. Here's her question. A short while back, Barry Jenkins expressed interest in doing a sci-fi movie. This was shortly after the new Dune went into production. And while I am very keen to see what uh, Denis Villeneuve... Denis Villeneuve. Denis yeah. And this movie stars your best friend, Ify. Oh, yeah. No, we've, we've talked about okay, it in no. the DMs. <laughs> Back to the letter. Back to the letter. <laughs> All right. Went into production. And while I'm very keen to see what Denis Villeneuve have, has done, part of me will always long for the sumptuously tactile and erotically lit Paul Atreides that might have been. What new genre and or franchise would you like to see a director or creative attempt? A Wes Anderson Western, a Vim Vendors screwball comedy? Go crazy. Dream big. Um, I love that this was written in. I'd like to start with saying 
Barry Jenkins did direct a great sci-fi short that you can watch if you are interested. Oh, right, right, right. Um, it's called Remigration. Funny enough, um, it was part of the ITVS Future States, and I produced another short in that same section. So it's sort of um, modern, reinterpreted sci-fi. But so it's it kind of like you made it. Uh, it's kind of like I made it. No, but we did get to tour those movies together, which was fun. It's so yeah, it's twenty minutes remigration, and it's about um, blue or blue collar workers being courted to move back into San Francisco because it's now entirely populated by the wealthy, and there's no one to do the actual work of things. Um, so yes, it is beautifully, it's sumptuously tactile and erotically lit. Um, I have so many ideas. This is the kind of thing that I sit around like doing dream pitches. <laughs> for. Drea's parlor game. <laughs> it truly is. Um, I will. I'll. 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 I'll like drop mine out like little flower petals, like a little flower girl at a wedding. So I don't do them all at once. But the one of the first things that came to mind is um, Jennifer Kent, who directed The Babadook and The Nightingale. I would love to see her interpretation of one of my least favorite genres, which is the gangster crime film. Um, because I think one of the things I find frustrating about gangster crime traditionally is the idea that it's such a male space that all of the women in it are relegated to just the smallest little side characters. And it depicts violence in a way that I don't always think is, is dealt with, um, on an emotional level and i feel like jennifer kent could step up the game in all of those while still doing a really uh bracing gangster story my my fallback answer to this is always like i would love to see blank do a musical just because i always feel like we don't get enough of them and so many of the ones we do get are not good lately um yeah. <laughs> but you know like so i i i i'm psyched about the fact that richard linklater is doing uh, uh merrily we yeah. roll along i for years i've said spielberg should make one just because the jitterbug sequence in 1941 and the credit sequence of indiana jones and the temple of doom are such great musical numbers uh so i'm very curious to see what he does to West Side Story as much as I am not thrilled about Ansel Elgort being in it. Um, I, I still hope that it's going to be interesting. Um, so, you know, just about anybody like Wes Anderson or Todd Haynes or Ava DuVernay or... Pedro Almodovar musical. Almodovar absolutely would love to see him. Like, I think, you know, I think Kika I'm has so a excited. dance number in it. I'm um, so excited has a musical like that's this, true yes 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 the there's a lip, sync, lip syncing a... to the pointer sisters yeah so uh, pretty much like you know whatever kind of filmmaker you are whether you're spare or excessive or anywhere in between like i would love to see your take on the musical you know like i think richard lagravenes did a terrific job with a movie that i know ingu didn't care for that much called the last five years um so you know i would love to see directors sort of bring whatever it is whatever paint box they carry around whatever is in their quiver and apply it to that genre that i I think uh, always needs more love. I spent a lot of uh, the latter half of last year uh, researching uh, Bong Joon-ho's filmography. Um, I wrote like a pretty expansive like piece on like the entirety of his filmography and his relationship to like the blockbuster genre and sort of like America. Um, and that's a, like it was published uh, at Slate. 
And um, one thing I really noticed about Bong Joon-ho's work is that he still has not really made like a romance or like a rom-com. And I think he's someone who is so good at writing characters and so like weirdly funny in like a way that like you don't expect. I would love to see him do a romance. <gasps> yes. Sign me I up. I did not know I want that, but now you said it. I want that. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Ify? Oh, man. So mine is going to be, I'd love to see Kugler get to do a comedy because, you mm. know, I, I feel like he's he's been in the serious zone. I mean, Space Jam is is, is going to be whatever. But I mean, you know, Judas and the Black Messiah, even though that looks good, Creed, you know, Fruitvale, like those are all like hyper serious black stories. And I'd love him to do like a black comedy, almost maybe in the vein of like Harlem Nights of like this, like, you know, black Hollywood throwback pick where he just kind of gets to lean into that that side because i think we see a little bit of his comedy sides in the light moments of his movies but i'd like to see him go like full comedy and what that would look like from his perspective i would love a ryan coogler like historical oakland picture like Ooh, i don't yeah. care like where it is but like san francisco oakland history is so fascinating to me like yeah. a ryan coogler like san francisco oakland western like oh my god but ryan coogler directing Letitia wright in a rom-com I'm in. Oh, yeah. All for that. All right. Well, thank you to everyone who has called in and emailed. Please continue to do so. Um, still being told that our well is drying up. Just just dusty. Uh, but Ingu's going to call in with a question, so that's going to be yeah. we, have a daw, <laughs> we have a daw, a, a dry-ass well, and I need y'all to send, to send, send in these questions. Uh, the number oh for the my. Who shot line is WSY. 803-1664. Now, now it's time for staff picks. It could be any movie at all. Ingu, why don't you start? I'm going to champion a film that like no one here has heard of. Mm. Um, it's super obscure. It's called Scream. I recently <laughs> rewatched it. It holds up so beautifully. I also am like a big scaredy cat like you, Iffy, about horror. And Ooh, yeah. so I actually turned it off like two minutes into it. And then I texted April and I was like, you guys remember April Wolf? <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like the beginning of Scream is so scary. And she was like, yeah, it's like the scariest, like, I don't know, like horror scene in like the last like 25 years. And then I felt like a lot better about it because if April found it scary, then obviously <laughs> I'm okay. In any case, like the 90s fashion is fucking insane <laughs> like the cast is like such a glimpse of like who was like who back when who I was saw who? scream and scream too you can see like a blonde rose mcgowan in this like bimbo role there's david arquette nev campbell like all uh, of those matthew lillard who... should have received an oscar for that film <laughs> yes guys remember like skate ulrich oh yeah uh, and... some of us watch riverdale <laughs> I just think like it's such a glorious time capsule, but also it really holds up both Scream and Scream 2. Okay, I'm sorry. In an episode in which you rang it on Charlie Kaufman for his cultural yes, references, you're going to recommend Scream, which is nothing but wall-to-wall meta-textual <laughs> horror movie shout-outs? Because you don't need to like have Googled all of those things while you're oh, watching no. the movie. This is like references in movies done right. Well, Charlie maybe Kaufman. maybe you need to watch I'm Thinking of Anything with your 1995 pre-Google cap on and just let them happen. <laughs> just oh, throwing that out no. there. 
Iffy. Oh. <laughs> Iffy, come with me if you want to live. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I love all four Scream movies and Wes Craven's New Nightmare. So, and I'm a I'm a big chicken about horror too. Yeah. I'm uh, not a chicken, but my pick is not a horror, so my chickenness does not matter. Um, my film for this week is called Critical Thinking, which is currently available VOD. It is directed and starring John Leguizamo, and was meant to have had its world premiere at South by Southwest this year, which sadly was canceled because of coronavirus which i don't know if you've heard of but is a thing here so um this movie super very obscure super obscure much like the movie scream so <laughs> critical th thinking is based on this 1998 chess team from like an inner city school in miami comprised of black and brown chess players um, who went on to make it to the U.S. National Chess Championships. So it has all of the earmarks of the like sports movie and the like ah inspiring teacher who's going to like kick your butt and get you going. But it's done really well. I love John Leguizamo's sensibility that he brings to this. There's none of the kind of cheesy veneer that comes with these. There's definitely expected beats, but it has a nice... Um, heart to it that's not a treacly heart if that makes sense um and mm -hmm. so and i just i love john leguizamo and i love that this is the kind of passion project that he's making and uh, this is the sort of movie i like a watching and b supporting so yeah critical thinking and if you want to make it a kids chess double feature queen of cotway is streaming on disney plus which is yes a movie i adore an excellent film that really did not get served yeah, well totally yeah uh, so mine this week is a physical media release, but it's also a streaming thing, so you can go either way with it. Um, the Criterion Collection has put out a gorgeous, exhaustive, lovely, brilliant, perfect films of Agnes Varda box, uh, which has everything shorts and features and interviews and and just like tons of extras and tons of uh really insightful material about one of the legends of cinema and if you are a criterion channel subscriber they've got pretty much all of it there too so you can either go physical and keep it forever or at least just have access to it in something that you might already be subscribing to. But um, the box is even created in such a way where rather than just do everything chronological, it starts with her final film, Varda by Agnes, which is kind of a, a an auto career survey. So if you are plunging in not really knowing her work, not knowing about her. It's a perfect way to kind of get little tastes of everything that she's been about over the course of her career and what has motivated her as a filmmaker and as a producer and film restorer of her husband's work. And then you can kind of go from there and 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 venture out into all kinds of different directions. So, uh, yeah, whether you are completely plunging in cold for the first time or you're a fan and, and maybe haven't had access to a lot of this material before because it hasn't really been super available, at least in the United States, uh, the Criterion Collection's Films, films of Agnes Varda uh, celebrates a really uh, vital and, you know, just essential filmmaker. Uh, yeah, my staff pick is Hashtag Alive by Il Hyung Cho, uh, which uh, is about a streamer uh, kind of stuck in his apartment during a zombie outbreak in South Korea, uh, which apparently is based off of a script uh, by Matt Naylor uh, called Alone 
that uh, has yet to be released. So so it's based off of a script of a movie they made. So there's there's going to be another one. It's it's coming out. It seems like it's going to be the same kind of concept, even though looking at the imagery alone seems more serious this one's more of a comedy and it and in the and it was uh it was a fun little uh situation it was very relatable because he's trapped in his home by himself uh for a long period of time uh trying to find ways to entertain himself trying to you know get in contact with his family and i was and it was one of those movies that i'm sure like if if it came out at a different time, it probably wouldn't have hit as hard. I see a lot of people being like, oh, I don't like it that much. But I was like, but this is one of those movies that just came at the right time. I think you can really relate to being trapped in your house when you couldn't leave. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, I guess it's time for five-star reviews. <laughs> if you leave us a five-star review, we'll read it on air. And this one is from BBBB. This is a five-star podcast with three five-star host love the breadth of the perspective that iffy drea and alonzo bring to the show who shot you is a bright spot in my week oh my gosh thank you you. i I need it yeah uh that was a good one uh ingu thank you so much for joining us i i know you have something to plug because you kind of teased it earlier so i'm excited to hear what it is um i actually have two different things to plug um i'm not like a big plugger so bear with me (laughs) Um, I have a Criterion essay that's coming out in about maybe something like two months. It's for the movie Parasite. October 27th. Um, Yes. Wow. Thank you. Um, The other thing I'm going to plug is a podcast made by one of the co-hosts of this podcast. It's called A Film and a Movie, and it's co-hosted by one a lot. Sorry. Alfonso Durango. Thank you. (laughs) Get it right. Uh, Alonzo invited me to appear on it, uh, talking about All About Eve and All About My Mother. Those are two of my favoritest movies ever. And I thought we had a really good discussion, so I really recommend it. Yes, I, I, it's a show I co-host every week with uh, Daniel Thompson, of the who's been on this show from the Deck the Hallmark podcast. And he is thrilled to get to have a, a show every week where he talks about movies that uh, are not made for Hallmark. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's also like a really fun format of taking like an older classic mu- movie and taking a sort of more recent one and talking about the connections because as Charlie Kaufman has proved, <laughs> oh God, people oh have no. lots of references within their movies. Um, and I think actually the all about my mother discussion is an example of how I like when movie references are executed in movies. Awesome. Well, we, it was great to have you on. And, and thanks for for mentioning it here yeah uh you know and before i close this thing out one more light plug because it just got moved uh so you're listening to this on friday the 18th but did you know that tomorrow saturday me and drea will be doing scripts gone wild again and we're doing the shining so uh, if you want to see spectacular uh you know just just straight out the movie performances come see over, me and drea over zoom it. yeah over zoom <laughs> Can I ask who y'all are playing, or is that a secret until oh, uh, curtain? N- no, it, it's been. Uh, he said who I was playing. You're playing I, um, Paul Hallerhan. Yes, Dave. Dave Hallerhan. Yeah. I'm, who are you playing? I'm playing like five people, but I get to be one of the twins, and that's all I really wanted. <laughs> I'm oh a twin God. with Dave Schilling. The goal of my life. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love Dave. Perfect. He's such. He's one of my favorite peoples. <laughs> 
All right. And if we're some of your favorite peoples, you can support the show by visiting MaximumFun.org forward slash join. And hey, there's another way you can support the show, and that's by purchasing a drumble, uh, purchasing a Jumbotron at MaximumFun.org forward slash Jumbotron. It's $100 for a personal message and $200 for a promotional one. This really helps out the show, and you get to hear us promoing, uh, you know, the stuff you like. Like, like say, hey, come down to Mary's Cookies, because those cookies crumble right in your mouth in the right way you know what i'm saying you love a good cookie crumble right in the mouth and and you can get that if you go down to mary's cookie that's that's a light that's a light you can you know. be almost guaranteed that somehow we will make your jumbotron sound sexual that's right <laughs> and look weddings and funerals are all virtual now so maybe you want to break up with somebody but you don't want to get within six feet of them we'll do it for you just yeah. pay us. thank you please give us a breakup <laughs> Again, the number for the Who Shot line is WSY803-1664. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Who Shot Your Pot. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Who Shot Your Podcast or send us an email at whoshotcha at maximumfun.org. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.